Well, it's a privilege to be able to uh, bring the word. And uh, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 3. And uh, I've been uh, doing a, a series back home, and this is uh, 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 part of that, but uh, with a, a little bit of a, a different uh, twist to it. But Ruth chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it might be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down under the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than in the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for, the, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Shall we pray? Our loving God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, as we look at it uh, this evening, Lord, we pray that you would just undertake uh, for us, uh, Lord, that your word would go forth in spirit and in truth. And Lord, be an encouragement to the people. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' most precious and worthy name. Amen. Approaching our Redeemer. We live in increasingly uncertain times. Crime is on the increase. Uh, justification and les legislation for sin. Uh, increasing droughts, massive bushfires and smoke. Hype about climate change. And now the hysteria of the coronavirus. And I will say, yes, we do need to be careful about the coronavirus. Hygiene is essential. Cleanliness is very important uh, and uh, we need to be aware that this virus is a real thing. Uh, we need to follow the government guidelines and that's why we're preaching over the internet this morning. We need to be sensible. But 
Pastor Eccles in, in Melbourne shared that we need to keep things in perspective. He said that uh, 6,000 people in Australia die from alcohol. Uh, 18,000 people die of heart disease in a year. Dementia, 12,000. Lung cancer, 8,000. Smoking in 2015, 20,900 people died of smoking-related deaths. We are in a time where we can say that God is leading us to the rapture and the tribulation. But I can tell you that in these days, it's going to be nothing compared to when the great tribulation takes place. When the seals are opened by the Lamb of God and the wrath of, of God is poured out onto the people. But we need to realize that in these days we need a Redeemer. We need a Redeemer so that we can have hope. We need a Redeemer so that we can have uh, the, the blessing of peace in our lives and rest in our lives. In 2019, I believe that there were uh, about 160,000 deaths in Australia. The majority of these will go to a Christless eternity in the eternal lake of fire. They're sobering thoughts. They need a Redeemer. We need to seek Him and we need to seek Him properly. Just a, a little bit of a catch-up on the book of Ruth so we can have an overview of this book. Ruth is a book of decisions and we all need to make decisions. It is a book rich with manners and customs of the people of Israel. Uh, it is set in the time of the, the judges and it's a time when uh, Israel found themselves under the wrath of God because of their departure from following the one true God. Elimelech and his family, uh, due to uh, the discipline of God and because of the uh, dearth of the land, removed himself from Bethlehem and went down to Moab, an enemy country. Here Elimelech and his family uh, lived. Uh, they were trying to run away from their problems. First Elimelech dies, leaves Naomi a widow, but has two sons to support her. Then Marlon and Chilion, her sons, marry Moabitish woman. They were unequally yoked. We see that after a time, Marlon and Chilion both die, leaving three widows to fend for themselves. Naomi at this time decides to return and tells her daughter-in-laws to return to their father's home and to their false gods. See, Naomi herself could see no hope in Bethlehem. She could only see condemnation in Bethlehem if she went back with two Moabitish women. And so she asked them uh, to return. But Ruth was determined. She wanted to stand up for the Lord and stand fast with the Lord. In Ruth chapter 1 and verse 19 we see that they both went back. Why? Because Ruth in verse 16 said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest I will die, and there will I be buried. 
the Lord do so to me, and more also, if thou, if sorry, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she she left off speaking unto her. We know that uh, Orpah, uh, the other daughter-in-law, returned to her father, but Ruth was steadfast. She wanted to stand up for the Lord. And uh, we don't know what input she had uh, in that short time that she lived with her mother-in-law and her husband, but obviously uh, she had uh, turned and trusted in the one true and living God. She had a love for Naomi. She wanted to be with Naomi's people. She wanted to be uh, in the, the, the land of Naomi, but she loved Naomi's God and wanted to follow him. And so we see that with little hope of sustenance, remember that Bethlehem was coming out of, of a dearth, of a, of a drought or, or some way a famine. There was no hope for true acceptance. She was a Gentile. There was no hope of a husband. Naomi had already stated that she was uh, not able to bear more sons. And there was no hope really for a future for her in Bethlehem. But still, she relied upon God's provision and she followed Naomi to uh, Bethlehem and trusted that God would provide for their hunger. While they were there, uh, Ruth begged or asked her mother-in-law if she could go and work in the fields and glean, and she did, and God blessed her. She knew that God had given grace and mercy for the people that were poor to go into the fields and glean and get some and she and get some food, and she was. God led her to Boaz's field, and through her hard work, God enabled her to bless her, and uh, God enabled to bless her uh, mother-in-law. And Naomi was surprised uh, at the um, at the the blessing. You know, she had. Uh, probably between 23 litres and 40 litres of grain I've worked out. That's a a 20-litre bucket of grain that she took home from just picking up loose pieces of grain off the ground. That's an amazing thing, up to 40 litres. That's a huge amount of grain that she carried back. Uh, No wonder Naomi was surprised. It changed her complete attitude. Naomi, when she saw the blessing of the Lord said, Praise the Lord. Verse 20 of chapter 2. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And that was very important because she was able to then seek rest for Naomi herself and for Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Chapter 3. Then Naomi, her, daughter, uh, her, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? We all seek rest. We all desire peace. You know, it's interesting that on tombstones we have RIP, rest in peace. Now we know that they cannot change their station once they are dead. But we have the opportunity to change and enter into peace while we are still alive if we seek the Redeemer. You see, the, on- the Redeemer is the only one who can give us true rest, true peace. And Naomi 
the widow knew this because she was looking to Boaz as a kinsman redeemer to get them out of their problem. He was their only hope. Ruth was seeking rest. Our only hope to find rest in this uncertain world is in Jesus Christ. And we can only find that while we're alive. We need to seek rest in Jesus. First of all, for our salvation. We need to trust Jesus Christ as our kinsman redeemer. We need to trust him as our Lord and Savior. We need to seek him and true rest. We are worried about this coronavirus. Many people are very desperate about it. We don't have to worry if we know Christ. Oh yeah, we do need to worry about whether we get it or not and whether we're sick or not. But you know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to be assured that if we die, that we are going to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We need to seek rest in the Redeemer. A peace that passes all understanding. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14 and verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We don't have to be afraid if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, as our Saviour. Trust in what he did on the cross, in dying and taking the penalty for our sins, Trusting in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. We need to trust in Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead. We need to trust in the Redeemer and seek rest in him. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter uh, 3, we see that uh, Naomi points out some things about approaching the Redeemer. In verse 3 it says, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. We see here that Naomi said, You need to cleanse yourself. You need to be clean. She needed to wash Removal of the grime and dust and the sweat from the day's works that she'd been doing in the field. She needed to wash. She'd picked this up as she worked in the field. You know, we pick up filth and grime from this world. We need to be cleansed when we, when we approach uh, the Redeemer. You know, Jesus Christ is the only one who can cleanse us from our sins. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. We need to have an initial cleansing by Jesus Christ when we come to him and call upon his name to save us. Jesus will cleanse us. But as believers, we need to go to him and be cleansed. Just like the people of Israel had the ashes of the heifer and they used that for cleansing from the grime and filth of this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 
We need to be cleansed, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We need to wash in the blood of the Lamb. As believers, we need to wash by the water of the word. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 25 and 26, it talks about the fact that Jesus desires to wash and cleanse his church, his bride, by the water of the word, removing the dross of our old life, leading us to a life of holiness. When we sin, we need to acknowledge our sin before God. We need to pray uh, to our God for forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be cleansed when we approach our Redeemer. And it needs to be with a contrite heart that we go to Him. In Psalm 34 and verse 18, it says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite heart. We need to truly be sorry for our sins when we go to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness. We need to be cleansed. We need to seek God's forgiveness with a contrite heart. There are many more verses that talk about going to God with a contrite heart. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit, to humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones those that are truly sorry for their sins. You know, we need to put away those things that displease God in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, it tells us. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us to mortify, in other words, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 3 to 6, Let it not be once named among you. God doesn't want those sins named among us. And we may need to get rid of some things in our lives. In Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, they dragged out all those things that were contrary to God. And they burnt them. We're told that it was many pieces of silver. Some say that this was the wages of 150 men for one year. Now, if the average wage was $60,000, about $9 million worth of stuff equivalent today. That's a lot to get rid of. Should not uh, worry about the expense. We need to get rid of those things that are contrary to our God. We may need to separate ourselves from certain activities or even people so that we are cleansed and not defiled by uh, the sin of this world. 
We need to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee from thee. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. We need to be holy before a holy God. Problem is we rush in and try to converse with God but don't consider the grime and filth that we have in our lives. We need to be cleansed. In 1818, Ignaz Philip Semowitz was born into a world of dying women. The finest hospitals list, uh, lost one out of six young mothers to the scourge of childbed fever. A doctor's daily routine began in the dissecting room where he performed autopsy. From there he made his way to the hospital to examine expectant mothers without ever pausing to wash his hands. Dr. Semowitz was the first man in history to associate such examinations with the resultant infection and death. His own practice was to wash with chlorine solution and after 11 years and delivering 8,537 babies, he lost only 184 mothers, about one-fifth. He spent the rigour of, uh, of his life lecturing and debating with his colleagues. Once he argued, um, uh, puerperal fever is caused by dec uh, decomposed material conveyed to a wound. I have shown how it can be prevented. Pre be prevented. I'm not asking anything world-shaking. I'm asking you only to wash. For God's sake, wash your hands, uh, he said. But virtually no one believed him. Doctors and midwives had been delivering babies for thousands of years without washing, and no outspoken Hungarian was going to change them now. Just as he desired people to wash, we need to wash, be cleansed before we approach our Redeemer. It's the only way that it can be. First, through salvation, the redemption, through the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Secondly, by continual confession of sin and by cleansing by the blood of the Lamb that cleanseth us from all sin. Next, we see in this passage of Scripture that Ruth was told to anoint herself. A consecration, if you like. Anointing speaks of the presence and working of the Holy Spirit. All believers receive the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. It's not like the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come along upon people at certain times for certain things. The Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. We are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit uh, to be dwelling in us as believers, and, and he does uh, from, from the time of salvation. It's a permanent thing. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John and chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Verse 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and his truth, and no lie, 
and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us. And it is something that is uh, uh, very important in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Anointing oil also gave off a a wonderful fragrance. And uh, Ruth would have put on the oil to go and visit her Redeemer uh, for her complexion and also for the fragrance that it gave off. Uh, We need to give off the right fragrance also. When we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our hearts and in our lives, we will give off the right fragrance. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Verse 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savour of death unto death, and to the other a savour of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? A savour, a sweet savour in a person's life. I, I wonder whether you've smelt the savour of death when you're driving down the highway and uh, on a hot summer's day and uh, the windows are open and you might smell uh, a dead animal on the side of the road. It's not a pleasant thing. Is that the smell that we give off in our lives because we're not living the way that we should? Or do we give a wonderful fragrance to our Lord because we are yielded to the Holy Spirit? And they were doing things in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Tozer said, If God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, how much of what the church is doing would go right on and nobody would notice any difference? That made me think that, that, uh, that uh, quote. How much of what I'm doing personally would continue on? if the Holy Spirit was taken out of the world. Now I know that when the Holy Spirit is taken out of this world, I'll be taken out of this world. It's called the rapture. And uh, uh, that is going to be a horrible time for the world itself. But the thing with it is that what do we do in our lives that is without the direction of the Holy Spirit? We need to have that consecration to our God that would allow us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not drunk with wine where it's in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, would this be what would happen in this church? What would happen in the Wagga church? What would happen at the church of Benalla? What would happen in our lives? What would happen to our evangelistic outreach? You see, the Lord Jesus Christ relied on the Spirit of God. 
He had the Spirit upon him. He read in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to blind, to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ said, This prophecy has been fulfilled in your eyes or ears today. Uh, we oftentimes attempt things in the flesh, and that is not a sweet savour to the Lord. We need to pray with the strength of the Holy Spirit because He changes what we say, say uh, what we say, and, and changes it into words that we cannot even uh, pronounce and and uh, and word. Uh, he gives us strength in witnessing in Acts chapter one and verse eight. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He gives us understanding. He enables us to. Uh, Understand what the Word of God is saying. He enables us to have strength in living in service, in worship. We need to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Anointing also speaks of a setting apart unto God. Ruth was going to set herself apart for her kinsman, Redeemer, and that's what we need to do. And aren't we called kings and priests of the living God? We are a peculiar people, sanctified unto the Lord. We need to be consecrated. We need to grow closer to our God each day in sanctification in our lives. Philip Brooks was a, uh, a, is, is perhaps best known as the author of O Little Town of Bethlehem. He was a very busy pastor, yet he always seemed relaxed and unburdened, willing to take time for anyone in need. Shortly before Brooks died, a young friend wrote to him and asked the secret of his strength and serenity. In a heartfelt response, Brooks credited his still-growing relationship with Christ. He wrote, The more I have thought it over, the more sure it has seemed to me that these last years have had a peace and fullness which there did not used to be. It is a deeper knowledge and truer love of Christ. A sanctified life. A set-apart life. We need to grow and grow closer to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Next we see in Ruth chapter 3 that Naomi tells uh, Ruth not only to wash, not only to anoint, but to put on raiment. Ruth uh, possibly had been in mourning clothes. She had lost her husband. She was a widow. We're not told how long it was uh, since the death of her husband. But she was told to change her apparel. And no doubt it was her working clothes that she wore. They would have been dirty and dusty. And so she was told to take off her clothes, those mourning clothes, those dirty clothes, and put on clothes fit for a bride. Clothes fit to meet with her Redeemer. Clothes that, uh, um, uh, clothes that would be uh, beautiful and um, uh, appealing to uh, her uh, Redeemer, kinsman Redeemer. Now clothing was very significant in, the, significant in the Bible and had spiritual meaning. Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves after the fall with fig leaves. Leaves that would dry out, leaves would be lucky to last a day. They were temporary, 
They were incomplete and they were inappropriate. God, on the other hand, provided them with animal skins. They were permanent. They were complete. They were completely appropriate, but he had to shed blood for them to wear them. Jewish priests had to wear special clothes in the service of God. Those clothes were exclusive for the priest. Those clothes were uh, specially designed by God. We need to have the clothing that God gives us, the clothing that is necessary of saved people. And I'm not talking about our outward clothes. You know, it's good to wear clothes that we show respect to God when we meet with God's people and we meet with our God. But it's even more important that our spiritual clothes are right. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And verse 22. The prodigal son came back and met his father, and his father met him in the way. Came back smelling of, no doubt, pigs and uh, all those things. The father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And God saves us. We are changed into clothes of fine linen, the righteousness of the saints. And we need to realize that we need to have those clothes of salvation. We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we need. We need the clothes of living and growing in Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, it tells us to mortify the deeds of our flesh. It tells us to take off the old clothes of unrighteousness and put on the new clothes of righteousness. Let's turn there to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry, for, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the deeds, uh, put off the old man and his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image uh, of him that created him. We need to take off that taking off, that putting off those things is just like taking off an old garment and discarding it and putting on the new. And as we live for Christ, we need to take off those old garments and, and, and be renewed in Christ. We need to trust in our Lord. We need to be 
uh, wash continually. We need to be uh, righteous before our God. We need to have those clothes of righteousness. One man was describing a, a man who had come in uh, after the meetings and uh, wanted to become a Christian. And uh, uh, this uh, fellow leading him to Christ said, Well, friend, what is the trouble? Uh, he doesn't like to tell. He is greatly agitated. Finally says, The fact is, I've overdrawn my account. That's a polite way of saying he has been stealing. Did you take your employer's money? He said, Yes. How much? I don't know. I've never kept an account of it. So the man says, well, maybe you stole $1,500 last year. And the man says, I'm afraid it wasn't that much. Now look here, sir. I don't believe in sudden work. Don't steal more than $1,000 this year. And the next year, not more than 500 And then in the course of the next year, you will uh, get so that you won't steal any. And if your employer catches you, tell him you are being converted and you will get so that you won't steal it anymore. I hope you cringed at that illustration because it's cringeworthy. It's a farce. The word of God says, let him that stole steal no more. There are certain things that we need to put off. A complete conversion, a complete turnaround. The Bible says it's an about face. It's called repentance. And that's how we keep our clothing uh, clean. We need to, uh, not a gradual, there is a gradual spirit, uh, physical grow, uh, spiritual growth in our lives, um, but at a conversion there are certain things that just need to be put away, taken off like old clothing. Next we see in the book of Ruth, not only was she washed, not only was she anointed, not only was she clothed, but she was composed. She was composed and she wanted to wait for the right time. Naomi had uh, taught her that she needed to wait until uh, Boaz had finished, her redeemer had finished uh, eating and, and had laid down uh, for the night. Verse 3, wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put on thy raiment and get thee down to the floor and make not thyself known unto the man until he have finished eating or he have done eating and drinking. She had to wait. You know, we need to be completely ready to meet our Redeemer just like Ruth was. It needs to be a time when we can set aside ourselves to the Lord. Uh, be uh, ready to meet with him. You know, I've heard of a preacher that when he got up to pray, took up to three to five minutes in silence, standing, waiting, talking with the Lord before he prayed because he was coming into the presence of Almighty God when he prayed. We need to take time sometimes before we open our hearts to the Lord and get right with him, just like this preacher did. She did not, uh, Ruth did not take lightly coming before her kinsman redeemer, and we should not either. We need to take time uh, for the right time to, to get with him. Sometimes we do need to pray immediately, 
Uh, Paul said that he was in a prayerful attitude all the time and that he prayed without ceasing. But you know, sometimes when we really want to meet with God, that we need to take time to get right with him and uh, not take it lightly because he is a holy and almighty God. Next we see that she capitulated. That's a big word for that she submitted. She yielded. I had to find a C. And uh, Ruth presented herself properly to her Redeemer. Notice that she was to uncover his feet. Verse 4. And it shall be when he lieth down that that thou shalt mark the place where he did where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Lying at the feet was a humbling experience. But you know what? She did not do anything immorally wrong by the way that she presented herself to the kinsman redeemer. There was nothing immoral about this. You see... It was right for her to seek redemption from this kinsman. It was a correct thing. It was according to the scriptures. If we go back and have a look at um, Judah and Tamar, uh, she did probably the right thing the wrong way, if you if you like. But what does Judah say? She is more righteous than I am, even though she played the harlot. She put herself, uh, Ruth put herself at the feet as a sign of submission to him and waited upon him. We need to approach God the right way. The Old Testament priest had to approach God in a special way. He had to be of the right family. He had to dress and wash in a certain way. He had to have the right sacrifice and incense. God made it very clear uh, in Leviticus all these things that needed to take place. And when they didn't come the right way or they didn't offer the right sacrifice or the right incense, then they died. Korah, Dathan and Abiram, the 250 princes, Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire, died before the Lord because they didn't come the right way. We need to approach God as he desires us to approach him. In an orderly fashion, God is a God of order. Men to teach. Men to teach men. Uh, We need to come before him. This do in remembrance of me in the Lord's table when we worship our Lord Jesus Christ and remember him. And we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing that we need to come before our Lord, submitted to him, Bowed, as it were. I love that hymn, Bow the Knee. It's a time that we can bow the knee now on this earth before we will be forced to bow the knee to Jesus Christ because one day every knee shall bow. I've heard people, uh, unsaved people, say to me, I will never bow my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, one day they will. One day they will. Our God will be so great. And it won't be that they'll be forced to. It will be because that they will just be so overawed by the greatness of our God that they will fall on their knees because of how great he is. And they will confess him Lord of all. 
knowing that they will face him as judge. Finally, we see that Ruth complied with what Naomi said, and she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. I will do. Ruth promised to obey. All that uh, you say I will do. Ruth was a hearer and a doer. We need to be of the same bent. We need to have that same mantra for our lives. All that the Lord says we will do. Our problem is that we tend to pick and choose what we want to follow to obey. Uh, We have itching ears sometimes. Uh, Sometimes we uh, seek the word of God, but we treat it like a buffet. And we go and, uh, or a smorgasbord, we go and we say, yeah, we like that one, so we'll take a spoonful of that food and we'll take a spoonful of that food. Uh, We don't eat everything. But we need to treat the word of God as something that we need to have everything, even though we don't like it. We need to trust it and obey it. We need to obey all that the Lord says. And we need to obey it instantly. Thomas Camper said, Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whosoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from the grace of God. In the 16th century, Edward VI, King of England, attended a worship service. He stood while the word of God was, re- was read out of respect. He took notes during his time and later studied them with great care. Through the week, he earnestly tried to apply them to his life. That's the kind of serious-minded response to the truth that we need to have today. We need to look in sermons that are preached from the pulpit and we need to take notes and we need to look at them during the week and we need to put them into practice in our lives. It's not just for the Sunday. It's not just for us to hear something glowing and something nice. We need to put them into practice in our lives. Now Ruth approached her Redeemer Ruth approached her Redeemer properly. She felt that she would have had no hope, but the Redeemer gave her hope. If you are living today without hope, without Jesus Christ in your life, I encourage you to approach the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world, for your salvation. That you might have hope, that you might have peace that you might have rest in this uncertain world. And if you're a believer, you too can have rest when you obey the living God. Put your faith and trust in Him and obey Him always. Shall we pray? Loving God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for this time that we can spend looking at the life of Ruth. And Lord, her approach to her Redeemer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to put these things into practice in our lives. O Lord God, I pray for this preacher, that Lord, he would put these things continually into practice in his life. And we pray for everyone who is listening today, 
Lord, that they would too put into practice those things uh, that your word of God says. In Jesus' name, amen.